Um, so I was just thinking then, um, whenever we say Chafford 100, everybody kind of rolls their eyes as though we live in a toy town that, that, with a strange name that you've never heard of. It's probably helpful for me to put geographically where that is. Um, we always describe it as East London moved out. Um, so you're going basically from East London and driving about half an hour out into Essex and you'll find Lakeside Shopping Centre, um, which is kind of the heart of Essex. Um, and uh, we live literally a stone's throw from Lakeside Shopping Centre. Most other people would know us as the church near Ikea or the church near the Dartford Bridge. Um, and just judging by your eyes, lots of you then go, ah, oh, the Dartford Bridge, yeah, we know there. Okay, so that's kind of geographically where we are. Um, but my passport says I was born in London. Um, so I'm from London, actually. I'm from East London um, and was born and uh, brought up in, uh, in a terraced house in the back streets of East London. Um, and that's kind of where, where I began ministry. Um, I became Christian at 19. Um, and uh, very quickly, uh, I was working for an investment bank in London at that time. Um, and I came to faith in a Baptist church at a 24-hour prayer meeting. Um, I turned up at the back of the church and uh, there were three people there and one of them had bought a mattress with them. Uh, he was fast asleep, literally, uh, and uh, the other two ladies led me to Christ. Uh, they knew me. I'd been in the church uh, as, a, as a boy growing up and my family had been in there. Um, kind of shows the importance of 24-hour prayer meetings to me. The amount of us at that stage that came to faith in the middle of the night, in the middle of a prayer meeting, was amazing, actually, tracking it back now. Um, but at 21, um, the minister there, I said, hey, I'm going to go travel the world. Everyone said to me that I should, uh, I should go off, um, not go into investment banking too early because it's a hard career. We'd been working 12-hour days. We were making really good money. Um, we were spending that really good money in London on probably really bad living. Um, and uh, he looked at me and I think in his head thought, this guy's just going to go and drink his way around the world if I'm not careful. So I said, I know this great scheme in Uganda, East Africa, um, that you could go on for six months. So I left London on the Friday and ended up in a village with no running water or electricity uh, on the Saturday. Um, and uh, then travelled round East Africa or Uganda for six months going to villages, sharing the gospel and working with young people. While I was there, they phoned me. And uh, we used to charge our phone on a uh, our mobile phone on a uh, solar charger because um, we didn't have electric points. And they said, we've been praying again. There's a pattern of this kind of weird stuff that happened after prayer meetings with me. Uh, and they said, and God has told us you're going to be our next youth worker. I said, great, good. Now I've got a career in investment banking that's waiting to go back to, but I'll let you know. I'll pray about it and, I, and I'll let you know. Um, and lo and behold, I kind of felt it was right. And I turned up and I'd never run a youth work session and they put me on a full minister's salary some of you are like, I can't believe you got that. Um, they put me on a full minister's salary, uh, Baptist minister's salary, uh, before I'd even taught a single youth session. Um, so I went in um, and learnt the hard way, really, how to work with young people in East London. And in our first session, I remember it, we ran a youth club on a Friday night. Um, we, uh, we opened up the halls, we got the football out, we made the place look cool. We, uh, we put playstations out, we put everything out. And uh, the night was going okay until about halfway through... Um, a local gang uh, managed to get into the church and cornered uh, one of the guys that was at the youth club. So there was me, five foot nothing, um, one of our volunteers who was about five foot something but not six foot, and uh, we were standing between about 13 boys with one lad behind us. And uh, they were literally ready to, to stab this boy. They'd come with knives um, and they were ready to kill this, well, I say kill, but they were ready to at least stab him and, uh, and have a fight. And I thought, not really into this whole youth work thing. 
I'm really not. This wasn't what I thought I was signing up for. And uh, I don't know how it happened, but we got trapped down a corridor and uh, somehow the two of us managed to convince these lads that it would be better to wait for him outside McDonald's afterwards than it would to stab somebody in church. I don't know why they agreed. They did. We then hid out in the church, uh, waiting, trying to devise a plan. While we hid out in the church, the younger gang members from that older gang broke into the crash area and took all of the crash toys and pulled them out and started playing with them all down the alleyway next to the church. Some other lads decided to graffiti the crash room wall. Somebody else broke a stained glass window. And then, lo and behold, because we'd never really checked whether you could play football upstairs or not properly, some plaster from the ceiling started to fall and the ceiling began to cave, plaster caving down. It was at that point I said, we need to cancel the night. Only when the plaster hit the deck, I thought, this has gone too far. Um, but I remember sheepishly going to, to our minister that night and, so, and listing off what we'd done to the church. And I thought, this is it. I'm never, ever going to be let back in the church ever again to do youth work. This is an absolute disaster. I don't think I even want to come back. Never mind if they're going to let me back. And he just said something. Uh, he said, Steve, it's all right. It's okay. We'll replace the stained glass window. Go and buy some paint. Paint it on Saturday and the crash leaders won't even see it. We'll, we'll try and recover the toys and we'll talk about it on Monday. But don't worry. Don't worry about it. We'll sort it out. We drove this other lad home. And uh, so that was kind of, I'm not saying that to, so you think, wow, isn't that crazy? You know, what a great story kind of thing. I'm saying that because you have to know that at every point of the story that I'll share with you, we pretty much didn't know what we were doing. And, uh, and we did loads of stuff that failed. Um, and we've done lots of stuff that I would never advise our students coming through now to do. Um, but in reaching out to the margins and in reaching out to the broken world that we found and in deciding that we were going to try and impact that young group of lads, uh, we actually found something of the heart of God um, that I believe you'll always find when you go after being a, uh, a church for a broken world, actually. Um, and... When I moved out to Chafford 100, because East London is one thing, and some of you are sitting here going, yeah, that's nice, but if he just talks about that all day, it's totally irrelevant to where I'm at. Totally irrelevant. But when I moved to Chafford 100, I thought, these are very nice houses, very nice cars, very nice young people, and really their only worry is what Ralph Lauren shirt they're going to buy from Lakeside Shopping Centre. What on earth are my wife and I going to do here? God, why have you brought us here to this estate, to these young people. I thought, this is absolutely pointless, but I'll take the holiday, God. Thank you very much. We have spent about six months just recuperating. I think you've worked one of the hardest jobs you can do in the church, genuinely. I've done a few different roles now, and just for amount of stress, time, energy, different skill sets you need, hours worked, unsociable hours worked, I reckon pound for pound, it's one of the toughest roles in the church. Um, and I thought, this is great. We'll, we'll take a rest. And then we began to see again God pushing us out to the margins, to the broken, to, to the lost, to those who really wouldn't have stepped foot in the church. And uh, I'm going to hopefully not bore you with statistics, but I'm going to go laptop based and then I'm going to go heart based and story based. Is that all right? So I'm going to kind of we're going to sit in this sort of broken world theme for a, a little while maybe 15 minutes, just saying, what are the issues here that I think you will be facing if you're out on the margins or dealing with young people um, that are in some form of this, operating in this broken world? 
Um, and then we're going to talk a little bit about our response and our story and what's happened. Um, and I fundamentally think that the fact that you are prepared to come and sit and listen to me talk about youth work probably says that God has something for you in this. I generally find that there are most people that even say, I've not got a clue what to do with any of the young people in our church or our town, but I've got a heart for it. Uh, often people just say, yeah, but why me? I'm too old or I'm really not the right person. I'm not very outgoing or I'm not this or I'm not that. But just desperately want you to stay with me um, because I actually think the fact that you've turned up, you've showed up and you're prepared to, to wrestle this out probably means you've got something to give that generation. Um, so we'll start there and then we'll share the story and then hopefully, if I'm well behaved, um, we'll have time for a bit of a Q&A at the end and I hit time. Here's my disclaimer right now. Um, this is my first day pretty much back at work and I've got a three-week-old daughter at home. Um, so I'm not sleeping much right now. I've got a three-year-old boy and a, and a uh, three-week-old daughter. Um, so I may ramble. If you see me glazing and rambling, just have the grace for, uh, for, for the nights that I haven't been sleeping. Um, but we're going to go in uh, together on the statistics. I asked my wife, she's better than me at this, I said, what are the issues of brokenness with young people? What are the ones we face? Sweetheart, help me. Am I missing anything? We just, off the top of our head, literally wrote down youth offending, gangs, riots, family breakdown, unemployment, sex and porn, sexting, technology addiction, bullying. Just literally, we, we, in front of the TV, I won't tell you what night because it'll expose how, how, when I planned, uh, and just said, what are the issues? What are they that we, we've come across historically over time? Um, and, I, and I wonder, you may throw two or three or more into that mix. You may take a couple out of that mix for your circumstance or for where you are. But I, I think generally speaking, these are the kind of big picture uh, areas of society that generally flag up when we're talking about young people. The, the Youth Justice Board uh, meet and write reports on, on youth offending, and they identified the risk factors for young people that go into offending as low income, poor housing or living in a disadvantaged neighbourhood, poor parenting and discipline, low achievement beginning in primary school. You really have to know this, that you can track a young offender uh, they begin tracking from primary school. There are markers that will flag. Some of you are like nodding, yes. You're probably primary school teachers. <laughs> they, they could, there are markers that are, start to occur even in primary school. Aggressive behaviour, truancy, leaving school without qualifications, becoming unemployed uh, or becoming young parents. They list one of the preventative factors, one of the key factors that stops a young person becoming a young offender as this a link with teachers, with other adults and peers who hold positive attitudes and model positive social behaviour. That should be your church, shouldn't it? I, I would bet money that in your church I would find teachers, other adults or peers who hold positive attitudes and model positive social behaviour. I don't know whether your church yet is reaching the margins that it would say, hey, we've got people in our church who have low income, poor housing, poor parental supervision and discipline, aggressive behaviour and a truance. But as soon as you start to do an outreach project of any shape or form, I bet you, you'll start to find young people that are. The Guardian newspaper, Boris Johnson, love him or hate him, um, the Mayor of London, said this. Today, excluding children from school is a fast track to a life of criminal activity, low aspiration and unemployment, and must only be used as a last resort. He then, in the same article, 
asked the former director of the prison service across the whole of the United Kingdom, and they said, the young people excluded from school each year might as well be given a date by which to join the prison service later down the line. Just sit with that for a second. In your town, in my town, the young people that are excluded from school, secondary school, should be given a ticket with a date on it that tells them when they are going to be connected with the prison service that is closest to you. And that's somebody who heads up the whole system, that's seen it in and out, that's been all over the country and seen how this works. That's brokenness. That is brokenness. Because the numbers of pupils that have been excluded from primary schools has going through the roof. Never mind secondary schools in the UK at the moment. The discipline issues that are happening in schools, to the extent at which now we have calls for uh, knife arches in many of our London schools to scan students before they come in. Let's just sit in that brokenness for a while before we, 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 we really say, what can we do? We've almost need our heart to break to say, we've got to do something, haven't we? We've got to do something. The National Literacy Report uh, from the Literacy Trust in 2008 said it is unequivocally clear that basic literacy is essential to future success. 70% of pupils permanently excluded from school have difficulties in basic literacy. 25% of young offenders are said to have reading skills below those of the average seven-year-old. Sorry, seven-year-old. 60% of the uh, prison population is said to have difficulty in basic literacy skills. Now, so... I don't know what you think when you, when you read this. I don't know. Uh, sometimes it's shock. What I think is this. There are 250, 300 adults in my church. If we can identify from primary school people that have low achievement, if we know that low reading levels are a huge marker and indicator for those who will end up as part of the prison uh, population, why on earth would we not partner up the people in our church who are retired and say they've got nothing to give to youth work and say, could you teach a six-year-old how to read? Could you sit with them for an hour and just read with them? Why wouldn't we do that? And that's where we kind of got to. We got to this of saying, I watch the news and I live in East London and at this time we were having stabbings pretty much every single month. It was hitting the news that young people were dying in our neighbourhoods. And it was too big. It overwhelmed me. The brokenness of it overwhelmed me. And we didn't know what to do. Because fundamentally, any youth service will tell you this, to just say we're going to have a gang intervention programme and we're going to go and meet gang members is an odd thing to do, is it not? How do you just go out and meet gang members? Right, lads. I'm Steve. I'm from the local church. It works in some places. Don't get me wrong. But I was five foot six, really scared, and didn't really have a clue about that culture. You're probably more like me than somebody like my wife, who just goes into the middle of the estate and starts talking to everybody, and everybody loves her. I would guess. I needed something. I needed a hook somewhere where in this broken world we could begin to do something. And I also was happy to say, do you know what? If that's all we can do, then that's all we're going to do. But let's do it really, really well. So let's not worry about trying to solve everything. But if we could make sure that every six-year-old in our town has a reading level of a six-year-old, then these statistics tell me we could do something about long-term youth offending in our town. 
You've got a project, haven't you? Right there. You've got to start where you're at, with who you've got, with the resources you've got, but we've got to begin to say, yes, that problem's huge and the brokenness is big, but where can we find our hook? Where can we find our passion and where can we engage? Uh, The Prince's Trust report said this, reducing youth unemployment by one percentage point could save over two million in terms of youth crime avoided per year. Two million. Just by adjusting the amount of young people that are unemployed by one percentage point. Big national problem, conundrum, we sit down, scratch our heads, not sure, let's pray. I'm not underestimating prayer, please don't get me wrong. Make that local. Local for me, that means that there is about approximately 300 young people unemployed in my borough. By adjusting it by 1%, all I've got to do is help three young people find a job. And I could be part of nationally saving two million quid. Imagine if all of our churches woke up to that and helped three people in our borough find a job. Imagine if we were known as a family of churches that helped reduce youth unemployment by two million quid per year. Then we're on to something, aren't we? We're on to tangible change, but basically we've gone, what do you really want to do? I want to be an accountant. Or what I really want to do is be a film. I want to do filming. I want to do acting. I want to do whatever. Okay, there's somebody in the church. Would you accept just them mentoring you for like six months to try and help you get into work? Can I sit with you and help you with your CV? Show it to me. What are you going to say in the interview? What are you going to wear in the interview? How are you projecting yourself on social media? Because they will check it. Even we check it when we employ people. You could do that, couldn't you? You could. I could do that. You could do that. We have people in our church who could probably own that. That's a project. That's a project. Surely. The Office of Children's Commissioners report uh, on school school exclusion in 2012 wrote this. Some groups of children are far more likely to be excluded from school than others. These are children who are vulnerable because of who they are and because of the challenges already present in their lives. They are boys rather than girls, children with special needs, children from specific ethnic backgrounds and children of the poor. We know. We know. A student with special needs is eight times more likely to be permanently excluded than their peers who do not have these needs. Eight times. Eight times more likely. Straight from the off in our school systems. Black Caribbean pupils are four times more likely to be excluded from school than their school population as a whole. Boys represent 78% of the total number of permanently excluded young people and, and children from schools. Children eligible for free school meals are four times more likely to be permanently excluded and three times more likely to be excluded uh, for a fixed term than children in their cohort who are not eligible for free school meals. It's there. It's there. You can look at a school year from primary school and begin to identify who you could help to prevent the brokenness that may happen upon exclusion from school. And I'm talking about one thing I'm passionate about which is school exclusion, because I couldn't deal with the big. But what I knew was every young person I work with that's in a gang has been excluded from school. So I may not yet know how I can get you removed from that gang, but what I do know is this, if I can keep you in school, you've got a way better life chance. Way, way better. Way better educational chance, way better uh, chance in getting a job, way better chance in keeping out of poverty, way better chance in not robbing our local corner shop. So I don't know how I'm going to take you out of this gang, but I'm going to work flipping hard to make sure you stay in school. 
because that's where I knew there was a need. I brought Eleanor with me. Um, how old were you when Lunch Club kicked off? Sure, so Elle was 19, and uh, she came to us when she was 19, and she said, well, I'm really passionate about child poverty, really passionate about child poverty. In some of the wards where we live, there's up to 58% of children in poverty. We knew this, and we knew these statistics, and we knew where it was on paper. I said, what? yeah, we're, we're passionate about that, right? But what do we do? She said, there's a national scheme called Make Lunch, where in the school holidays, when students wouldn't normally get free school meals, in the school holidays, they're not getting a decent provision. Could we run a club in the school holidays where we put on a decent meal, where we do a really top quality activity, and where we get to know these families and we support them and we bless them through that time? Could we do it? It's a national scheme, Make Lunch. I mean, I'm not trying to patronise Elle. She was 19 at the time. She was only just out of our youth group. In fact, she kept saying to me, Steve, this is weird because you're treating me like a leader and I'm just used to being a young person. Do you remember? But yet we said there's something in this. There's something in this idea. And and we can do that. That's achievable. How many meals have we cooked now to date? Two years. They've cooked 600 meals in the last two years. They've blessed over 150 different children in our town. We've engaged with families that are now engaging with the church and are now coming. Why? Because the issue of child poverty was this big and it would have paralysed us if, if we'd just kept looking at it as it being that big. But what we could do is run a really, really good lunch club and invite all of the, 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 the children in our town that were on free school meals to come to it and make it something that's not embarrassing to go to but something that's aspirational to go to and then when they're there in the car today I had Elle and the other lady that travelled with me nailing me about when are we going to start tutoring these kids when are we going to start supporting them when are we going to start running this when are we going to start doing that because we're passionate about them now because we know them by name I heard somebody say recently there were millions of people that signed up to make poverty history but how many of them are ready to make it personal you will care way more when you know the names of the people in your town that are stuck in poverty and trapped in it because they become your friends it was so difficult for me to go to court and see young men on trial for murder for stabbing for assault and battery because they've been at my house and they've been to barbecues weird isn't it weird when you start having a murderer around for a barbecue there was a friend and I don't justify what he did he should never have gone out with a knife that night He shouldn't, should he? But he was my friend. We used to play football together. And I know his background. And I know where he came from. And none of that's an excuse for what happened that night. In fact, he was found not guilty. So I'm making it sound as though he was guilty. But for a while, we wondered, what on earth are we doing? Are we actually justifying this? Are we making mistakes? Are we doing stuff that's wrong? But when you know somebody by name, you begin to care so much more about their situation and you get passionate about helping the younger ones not go down those same roads. Um, I said I was going to do statistics and heart. I'm not really doing very well, am I? Um, Let's read. Should we read some more? Yeah. (laughs) Should we read some more statistics? The New Philanthropy Capital 2007 report on the cost of truancy and exclusion said the average excluded child cost £63,851 to society over the course of their lifetime. 
This includes costs to the child in future lost earnings resulting from poor qualifications and also costs to society in terms of crime, health care and social services. Each year, the total cost to society for those who have been excluded is £650 million. Cost your local school a fortune to exclude a young person. They've got to find all kinds of provision for those young people to then make sure that they've got an education. It costs them an absolute fortune. Let's talk about young... I've talked a lot about young people and education. It's my passion. Edu- education is a route into poverty. Um, so that's only one area of what we've talked about. Let's talk about young people and, and, and pornography and sex. Uh, this was done by safetynet.org, which was a campaign by Premier, Premier Radio. They estimate this. The single largest group of internet pornography consumers is aged between 12 and 17 years of age. One in three 10-year-olds, 10-year-olds. My son's three years old, okay? When I read this stuff, it sends shudders down my spine, literally. One in three 10-year-olds has seen pornography online. A third of the kids in your church that are 10 years old have already viewed online pornography. That will include acts of sex against animals, acts of sexual violence and rape, I'm not talking about they've, they've gone and seen a page three or a Nuts magazine. I mean what they have had access to online already at a very, very young age would probably scare the pants off of you and me. In school. Hey, Steve, have you seen this video? No? What is it? It's a woman having sex with a horse. I'm sorry? In school, in secondary school, the video going viral being passed from mobile phone to mobile phone. So-and-so, X, isn't in today. Why? Because we all saw a picture of her with her boobs out and it's been passed around the school and it's being texted from person to person in the school. And she is so ashamed that she sent that that she will now not come back to school. In our local schools, in your local school, this isn't my issue, and my local school. I live in Chafford 100. I live in the town that you thought was middle class, kind of, you know, toy town, somewhere out in Essex. It must be happening here in Norfolk. Am I right? Okay. It must be happening in Devon. It must be happening in Edinburgh. It must be happening in Manchester. It must be happening in Leeds. These are national surveys. 81% of young people aged 14 to 16 regularly access explicit photographs and footage on their home computers. 81%. I watched a TED talk recently about the United States and uh, they wanted to do a survey on the impact that porn, an extreme um, porn, was having on the brain. The reason it took them so long to be able to do the survey was they couldn't find a control group amongst young men. This isn't just a men issue. Don't hear me saying that. But that was what this control group was looking for. The reason they struggled to find a control group was because in the States they couldn't find a big enough group of young men that had not yet seen internet pornography to be able to balance out the statistics to have a median group. Eventually, they had to find a group of young men who decided to give up watching online pornography to be the median group. Is that right, statistics, Dan, the median group? You're more intelligent than me. Yeah, <laughs> he's nodding, it sounds right. Is that right? The, what? the control group, thank you. The control group. Imagine, imagine 
You can't launch a study because you can't find young men that haven't yet accessed internet porn. It's broken. You don't need me to stand up here for another half an hour reeling off one after the other. We've not talked about bullying. We've not talked about social media. We've not talked about gangs. We've not talked about the London riots that happened. But when you hold this into perspective, we've not talked about unemployment. Most young people now are are coming into a very, very different economic story than you did. You came into a different economic story to your parents, yes, but they're coming into one totally different to you. All they've ever known is recession. That's all they've known. They've only known a deflated housing market, a bubble, something called a credit crunch, which has now meant that they don't really have much chance of getting a job. Equally, we've said that to go to university, you'll probably be about £40,000 in debt. And that won't necessarily guarantee you a job to pay off that debt. Think of the areas that I haven't touched on yet. Man, by your faces, I can tell this isn't the most sort of entertaining of seminars. But I kind of want us to sit in that for a while and just go, wow, really? Crikey. That's a lot for a 15-year-old to take on board, isn't it? You're probably not going to have a job. You run a high risk of being bullied on social media. You're probably asked by somebody to send a picture of your private parts here or there. You'll probably, at most parties, be asked to do something by somebody um, uh, you know, that would involve kind of sex and relationships. Um, you may well be avoiding trying to get in a gang, depending on your local situation. I'm not trying to, I mean, I'm painting a bleak picture. Understand me, this isn't everybody's world, but I'm just trying for us to sit in the brokenness for a while. Because that's what we're here to talk about. And this is in your church. You've got two choices, and this is the choice I was faced with. There was a 14-year-old lad, and he changed our story. There have been two young people that I'll talk about today, and they fundamentally, interestingly, we never really had any success with either of them, but they've changed my life these two young people, because I've allowed their story to impact my story and allowed it to change what I would would do and live and how I wanted to live. The first was a young guy at 14 years of age in East London. He was trained to be a getaway car driver um, and an older gang robbed £25,000 from a Securicor van. And then he, at uh, 14, was the the guy who was going to drive them away from that robbery. He was in our church. He came to our home groups. He came to us to Spring Harvest. He attended church every single week. He sat in my group. He learned about Jesus. And within about two months, I went from sitting with him in church to sitting with him in court to sitting with him in young offenders. So we had a choice. We had a choice to either say he's one bad egg and we ignore that situation and we crack on with what we were doing. Or we say, if that can happen to him, then what on earth are we going to do about it? When are we going to start saying the church could be an answer here, couldn't it? Church could be a beacon of hope into this situation, couldn't it? We could do something about that, couldn't we? And I think you will have opportunities like that. The group of young people that hang around your local park and drink and take drugs, their story might change your church's story. The group of young people that hang around your local convenience store, that group of young people that hang around at the station, the young people you know that are already mugging people or excluded, they could change your story fundamentally fundamentally could change what you do as a church but you have to accept that you may have the gospel the Jesus you follow may have something for them you've got to believe it I don't care who you are and I don't care what gang you're in 
when you sit on your own and you're about to be sentenced, you're willing to pray with someone. I've seen it time and time again. When you're sitting on your own, when nobody else is there, the hope of the gospel, the message of redemption, the fact that somebody like King David could go on to be so significant in the gospel and yet he, he ended up murdering someone because he slept with their wife and he got them pregnant. The fact that Moses, who loses it, uh, is then held up as such a biblical hero. You've got something in the gospel, haven't you? That could reach to the margins. The fact that those who are lost to society, those who are shunned by society, those who had begun to uh, uh, sell their bodies for sex were welcomed, loved, accepted and totally transformed by meeting Jesus. So why not in my church? Why not in my town? I've got frustrated with the gap between my bi- the Bible I read and the life I live. And I'm trying in these years that I've got, God willing, to close that gap. That I may somehow believe, as faulted and flawed and imperfect as I am, that a story that our church could live out could be a story that I could imagine be written on the pages of the Bible. We lost out. It's already been written and agreed. We can't put any additions. There's a scary bit right at the end of the book of Revelation that warns against it. But could you imagine your church's story with young people being on the pages of the scriptures? Could you imagine it? Can we close the gap between what we believe about Jesus in theory, that he reached the margins and the lost and, and, and those that are trapped in poverty and those that are in, uh, in prostitution? Can we close the gap and actually say that the Jesus I follow in 2014 could still have something to say to young people and people trapped in that situation and similar situations to it? So that's our kind of heart. Um, I'm going to move away from the statistics um, and hopefully try and cheer you up a little bit. Um, so we, we tried some stuff in East London. We ran a pupil referral unit. We ran a youth club. We ran a football team. We started to work with young people in local gangs. We started to baptise young people. We started to share our stories. We did nothing that you probably couldn't do. We had no fancy programme. We had a pretty bad youth club on a Friday night that was the hardest thing I ever ran. We desperately told people that because it was a religious building, like, please don't mess about, fight or ruin it. And somehow that kind of worked in keeping the peace. But, hey... Like we were blagging it, to be honest. We prayed with them every single week and got to the stage where they really wouldn't listen to a God slot. So all we basically said to them every week is, we love you so much that we just want to pray for you. Is that all right? They said, yeah, we love that. Okay, cool. We'll just pray. I'm not really going to say anything else. I'm just going to pray for you. We had conversations. We worked with young people. And then my wife was working on an estate in Walthamstow where she took a bus on there and she worked with young people. We moved that to Chafford 100. And we just got really passionate about a local school because of this connection again that young people that were being excluded kept being the ones that were turning up in these gangs. So our local school in Chafford 100 invited us. We, we, it kind of worked because somebody before me had done a, a semi-placement with the school. So there was a vague link in there. What happened is that the school had had the local council running a youth club in, that, in the school. The council were doing a really, really bad job of running the youth club uh, in the school. So the, they got rid of them and then they asked the church, you guys are kind of used to running youth clubs and stuff. Would, would you be up for thinking about taking this over? We took over the youth club and uh, we started to serve in the youth club. There's a, about 900 people that go to school and every one of those 900 people was invited to come to the youth club. <laughs> So that was a bad idea, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Because on any night, even if only like a third of those people turn up, you're already way blowing every single child protection ratio you've ever seen in your life. 
and you, you're probably not able to do it. So we kind of realised that was a bad idea and then said, we'll just do it for one year group. We'll focus on year seven. We'll do it as transition. So we started to run a youth club. As we got to know the young people, and I'm just going to rattle through our story and then kind of let you ask me some questions about it if we've got time. Um, as, a, as part of that, we approached the school and our language was simply this. How can we help you? We're here in your community. How can we love? We love you. We love what you do. We know you've got a really hard job. We are working with young people in the community and you're working with them way more than we are. How can we help you do what you do really, really well? Because we think a really good school in our community will make for a really healthy community. We also think a really healthy church would make for a really healthy community. And we know that you do school really, really well and would you let us do church really, really well? We kind of don't want you to do church and you probably don't want us to do education, but can we really bless you in what you're doing? That's the kind of language you use. And it blew the head teacher away. Really? You want to help us? Yeah. Do you want us to pay you? No. Don't worry about it. What can we do to help you, serve you, bless you? It's a God thing, isn't it? You want to bless people and serve them. It catches them by surprise, though, because the church isn't known for that. <laughs> I don't know why. That's to our embarrassment, isn't it? But we said, well, we just want to support you, help you. Well, man, we've got these kids in year nine. We'd love you to mentor them. They're pain, pain in the butt. Can you help us? Yep. I said, okay. We'll work with one student. So for a whole year, I went in one day a week, and I mentored for one hour a week, one student. I then started to meet their family. I started to get to know them. Mum started to call me up and say, hey, he's kicking off at home. Can you pop round tonight? Just have a chat with him. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'll go round. He busted up his whole house once. So the next day we repainted his whole house and I taught him how to patch up with plaster, whatever it's called, the stuff from B&Q that you patch in, polyfiller. polyfiller. Um, I'm really good at DIY. Uh, <laughs> we painted his house. Um, we painted the room he'd smashed up. We fixed it with polyfiller. I said to him, what have you learned today? He said, I've learned that it takes eight times longer to, to fix this place than it did to smash it up and I'm not going to do it again. <laughs> I went back next week and his mum says, Steve, you never believe it, but he's painted about two, three other rooms. He really enjoys it. And he's fixed some holes that he punched in his own wall because you taught him how to do it. Not very well. They're probably still there by now because I'm not good at DIY. I think you could do that. I think your local church can do that, can't it? And if that's all it does, that, like, that isn't a, oh, that's all it does. That is, man, that's what you do. You help that one young boy connect with his mum connect and not kick off in his house and stay in school for a whole year that's what you do so we did it for a whole year next year we did a few more we mentored a few more kids we roped in a few more people we ran the youth club even better than we were running it before we started the lunch club that we were running and then we're like we're on to something here because serving our community like this seems to be working this year we're kind of four years on now we're mentoring 34 young people or primary school students in our community so far this year and man we've got one term to go we've not seen anyone excluded of 34 students that were given to us as the key students in both the local primary school and secondary schools that were going to be excluded that year were there no intervention we have seen not one excluded i'm proud of our volunteers i'm proud I don't even claim the work that they did. We just kind of kicked it off. I'm proud of them because our church is turning up for half an hour or one hour a week in young people's lives and making a difference and keeping them in school. 
And we may not be able to solve the huge gang issue on the fringes of London, but we can keep 34 young people and primary school students in our school in education. And we can make sure they know a trusted adult. And we can make sure they've learnt that the church wants to love them, bless them and support them. We can. Imagine if we could do that nationally as the church. It had such an impact that we got invited, I got invited to the local council. I was quite nervous, you know, it's a weird thing for me, not into that kind of whole deal. Sat down, I was introduced, this is the head of Safer Neighbourhoods, this is the head of Youth Offending, this is the head of local police, da 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 da. Okay, (laughs) why have you invited us here? I'm sitting there. This is Steve Morris, he's from the local church. We have invited him here to tell you their church's story. Because with no money from us, they have hit so many of our objectives that we had at the beginning of the year that we need to know what they're doing. And after he has finished speaking, I want you all to go round and tell him how you can help him do what they are already doing better. Wow. What do you do with that? You kind of go, I I just taught a kid how to use polyfiller, I think. And we turned up every week. And we kind of made it up. And if you really knew what we did, we played cards quite a lot. We talked a lot. We dealt with a lot of his anger issues. But we were just a constant. Halfway through that time, about two years ago, I was walking with the assistant head. He said, Steve, we're thinking of employing a church youth worker. No, he said, we're thinking of... I've given the game away. We're thinking of employing a youth worker for the school. We know you employ youth workers. We want to talk to you guys about it first. Okay, cool. I'd just come out of a meeting where I said, in about four years' time, we're going to have a permanent schools worker, blah, 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 blah. Didn't think we'd have a conversation about that afternoon. He says to me how much they're going to pay the person. I thought, man alive, you've got enough, really, just for, like, a a, a low-level support. Like, I'm not being disrespectful for a dinner lady, but you are effectively offering a dinner lady's wage and trying to get a professional youth worker. Like, that's not going to fly. This isn't going to work. So I'm like, alarm bells. I need this role to work. What can I do? I know what I can do. I can volunteer that the church will start paying for part of the salary and we could recruit the person and manage the person. That would be good. So I call up our elder, David, and say, David, I don't know what I'm about to commit us to. I think it would involve a bit of money and this is the opportunity. Would you back me in the eldership meeting if I commit too far, like now? Because I think we've just got to hit one of the iron's hot. He laughs and says, I don't know what you're doing, but just tell me later. I don't want to know the details, but we'll, we'll figure it out. <laughs> so I say, great, to the, to the assistant head, I think we can help you. I think we can bless you. I, I think we could employ a youth worker, support your money, bring money into the pot. So now we employ a youth worker, 60% they pay the salary, 40% we, say that we pay the salary. We've got somebody permanently in school who oversees the playground and builds relationships with the young people because most of the exclusions were coming from the playground because the incidents are where the teachers aren't. They manage our whole mentoring programme in the schools. They're a family support worker who goes to meet the families. They oversee the youth club. They run a film club and we're about to kick off running a radio station in the school with the young people. That's what they do and we pay seven grand a year. That's a home run, isn't it? If you could get that for seven grand a year in your local school. But he looked at me absolutely flabbergasted and said, I have no idea what you think you're getting out of this, other than helping us. But if that's good for you, then this is a win-win. And I can't wait to go to the senior managers and tell them what we're about to do together.
It's a mindset shift. I didn't go into the school and say, I demand my right to do a Christian assembly. I demand my right to let the young people know about Jesus. This is a Christian country. I demand my right to do the RE lesson and be the appointed person who comes in and visits. I didn't say that. I said, how can I help you? I love the young people in this town and so do you. How can we bless them? You really don't want to exclude that lad, do you? I know you don't. Give me a run at him. Give me a chance. I joke with the head teacher. He's still here. He's still here, isn't he? They go, only by the skin of their teeth, Steve. I don't know what you're doing, but by the skin of their teeth this week, he's only still here because we know you're working with them. Good, good, good. That's fine. I'd get phone calls from the school. Mate, he's kicking off. He's going to get excluded. Can you make it in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can make it. Yeah, I'll be there. Sorry, guys. Church meeting. Sorry. I've got business in the school. See you later. But it's a mindset shift. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to love you. And I'm not going to give up. And we're going to keep going. And even if you do get excluded, we're going to keep going. So we've now got one school's youth worker. We're about to hopefully employ another. We've got a gift day next week. And we're hoping to raise another seven grand. We're in... Yeah, please. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. Um, We're hoping for two. We work in the two primary schools that feed students into those. We run a primary school mentoring program, which is off the shelf. You can do it. It's TLG. You'll probably even get a grant from the Cinema Network to do it. We run an off-the-shelf mentoring program in our secondary schools. We run a youth club. Um, We run home groups, life groups. We run Sunday morning teaching. We pray for our young people. We've probably seen our youth group in this time of four or five years. It grew from a group of about 15 to 20 to now a group of about 80 that turn up on a Sunday morning because they know we love them. It's as simple as that. They know who we are. We turn up in their school every week. We talk to them in the playground. We play football with them. We beat them at basketball when we can. We look after the ones that they know are naughty and they think we're doing what Christians should be doing, aren't we? And that's how the church, I believe, I kind of want you to leave with a smile on your face. You're still not smiling. I don't know if you're challenged or if you're there. Our story doesn't invalidate your story. Our story, like, because people talk to me and go, oh, Steve, you're nuts. You do this stuff with gangs and da-da-da-da. No, I don't. I'm five foot six and a half. I'm really scared of young people that are violent. I am. If I have an argument with someone, I get nervous and shaky. I'm not good with confrontation. I'm just not. But we've honed in and said, what we can do, we'll do. And if all your church could do is one young person that you can mentor, that's not all you can do. You're making a massive difference for one young person. And you may well save this country £65,000. Because they don't go on to become a young offender. But more important than that, you've modelled to them hope, restoration. Someone told me yesterday it's called Redemption Uplift. We're trying to bring redemption uplift in our local school and in our local area. If that's what it's called, that's what I want. But what I really want is the church to be known as people that love, as people with integrity, as people that care, as people that reach the margins, as people that don't have all the answers but are prepared to get involved, as people that are generous. Why should I expect the council to pay for that? Why? We've got entitlement issues, haven't we? Why isn't the church known for being generous? Why does this funding, why does the funding need to come from somewhere else? Why are we prepared not to cut the refreshment budget after church, but say that some of this stuff has to be funded by the council? No. Sacrifice. You sacrifice first in your church. Make the money available. Go without coffee after every service for six months if you need to, to make sure that you've got enough money to kick off a mentoring programme. 
I'm being facetious, but this is the heart of what we do. We love, we are generous, we care, we want to reach the margins and we want to see transformation. And we long to see these young people come to meet the gospel, know the gospel, and see it face to face, and see it in our eyes, and see it in our hearts, and hear it in our voices. And we pray every week that they come to faith. We pray by the name every week that they come to faith. But we will love them whether or not they do or not. Because that is who we're called to be, and that is what we're called to do. We've linked it with a project in South Africa. We are, we're currently building an education centre in South Africa, in the middle of a township. My wife and I are moving in January. We're going to help oversee the building of the education centre because God's called us to go. We're going with the wind. In the last year, we've raised £100,000. I talked about the education centre at a festival somewhere, at a conference, and that day there was £30,000 put on my feet to build that centre and give it to the poor. Jesus' heart is in the margins and for the poor. It just is. You've got to accept it. It just is. And prophetically, New Frontiers as a movement has been called to this before. I've watched it on Vimeo and I've seen it. And I've seen the sermon where we as a people prophetically were called to the poor. But there's a problem if our generation now forget it. And it's only the generation of leaders above us that remember it. We are called to the margins and we are called to the poor. As a prophetic statement, it's in our body of who we are. And may it continue to be in the lifeblood of RM churches and youth groups. Because we are called to the margins, to the poor, to the broken, to the lost, to those that are hurting. And in my town, that's the guys and girls that are getting excluded. It's the guys and girls that are on free school meals. It's those who have got special additional educational needs. And nobody gives them the time of day to get to know how we can sort that out and fix it and give them a hope and a future. But my church will. My church will. My church will give the parents respite. We were talking about it in the car on the way down here. They're going to do it. Elle will do it. Will you? Come on. Come on. Can we, together, make a difference to these national, broad, huge, big statistical things? I can't change the whole of the gang violence in South Africa on the Cape Flats, but I can give my life to the township that God's going to send me to. I can. I've given every single penny in my bank account to it. I have. I'm in. I'm all in. I say it everywhere I preach. I'm all in. Because if I don't show you and tell you and, 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 and give you that heart, then how on earth can I call you to go and do the same? But I'm all in. Let's be known as a church that closes the gap between what we think and say about Jesus and preach about Jesus and what we actually live out about Jesus. That our lives, that our churches, that our stories, that our, our way of being could, could be written on the pages of the New Testament. Wouldn't it be great? Isn't it? It's what it should be, isn't it? I don't know where I'm going to land. I was going to land with a Q&A. Um, I don't need to share. That's what we do. Um, You can check it out on the church website. We're toying with the idea of doing kind of a day where people can just come and visit us. We've had a few people, by the grace of God, say, we want to come view what you're doing. We really want to get to know the nuts and bolts. We've got contracts. We've got service level agreements. We've got all the practical nuts and bolts. We franchise every project going. We're not trying to make a project that goes national. We're trying to do a local church project. That's what my heart was. Not trying to do a big deal. But we may do a day in September locally where people can just come and kind of learn the nuts and bolts because I've just given you the inspiration, not the kind of what do we do on Tuesday at nine o'clock like stuff. 
um, we may do that. If you're interested in that, let us know. You can pick up what we do on the church website. Um, if there's burning questions now, it's like 28 minutes past. Throw your hand in the air and ask me, and uh, for the next two minutes, I'll, yeah. You talked about the Cinnamon Trust. Yeah. Well, who L. <laughs> L applied for that funding. <laughs> um, the Cinnamon Network, from what I understand, uh, were given a contract by Tear Fund. This guy called Matt Bird. He was given a contract by Tear Fund quite a few hundreds of thousands of pounds to engage the local church in, in uh, starting up projects. So certain projects like Make Lunch, what I talked about, making lunch in the summer holidays, um, TLG mentoring in primary schools, they've been accepted by the Cinema Network as franchise product uh, projects which you can use. So you can apply to the Cinema Network for £3,000 to kick off one of those approved projects in your local area. Um, if you go to Cinema Network in Google, you'll find way better explanation than that. But that's the basic nuts and bolts of it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. People are nodding, so that's it. Is that right? Is that okay? Is that answer? Yeah. Did you have a question? Are you waiting? I was going to say um, that a local charity um, open to action in our town is also funded by them. It's anything social action based. Yeah, there you go. It's three thousand pounds startup funds, or there's even some bigger pots now. If you've really got an idea, I have. Uh, let me lay down one or two principles that we do. We haven't made this a charity. I have no beef with people that do make it a charity. None at all. But that's a decision you've got to take. When you start running projects, you've got to decide, is this going to be a separate charity? And there are big advantages to doing that. Or is this going to stay within the lifeblood of the church as a project? For us, it was, we love going into the school and the school staying, this is Stevie's from the local church. We are the 180 project, but just kind of love the heart of it and if we could hold it together then why not we haven't had to separate it yet and our heart wasn't to go national or to do anything other than bless our local town so but I do think that's a strategic decision you've got to decide who would you take money from and why and who would you not take money from and why Um, how much of yourselves are you going to put into this our church has got about 40% of its annual budget goes to children and young people we're serious about it so people say wow you've got growing youth work and children's work but we're serious about it we, um, recent months, I was kind of proud of this, shouldn't be, but I think it was just before Easter, we had more children and young people in church than adults. That was a good day for me right there. I said in the service, we're going to institute a time when the adults have to leave to go to their groups. <laughs> it's time, isn't it? We, we, it's time. Okay. Didn't, didn't get, uh, got vetoed in the elders meeting, but I, I'm, I'm there. But we take it seriously. Financially, we back it. Vision, we back it. Eldership, we talk about it. Serious stuff. Children and young people, this is serious stuff. It needs to be right at the top level of talk in church and vision in church and strategy in church. Not over and above everything else, but at least in the mix with it. At least. You can tell they get me fighting its corner quite a lot. Um, but I think these, there are some strategic decisions around funding, positioning, how you're going to work these projects, who's going to own them, where it fits in with the vision of the church. Man, talk to your elders. If you're fired up, you go away thinking, yeah, he's right, we can do a mentoring program. We'll do that. Please don't just then not talk to your elders. Like, sit before the elders and say, pray with us, prophesy. Like, us going to South Africa is a purely like, prophetic kind of deal, uh, really. We kind of got hijacked by God into a lot of this stuff. Um, so I'm I, I, I kind of trying to weave a path for you to answer some of the practical questions. Is there something else that you're itching to ask? If not, I'm not saying there should be, but... Yeah. Um, I think because um, we do mentoring in schools, yeah. uh, a youth club, mainly for the community, 
yeah. we found quite difficult is is that jump between the community <laughs> yeah, youth yeah. group or schools and church into into a church sure church youth group. This is a really good question, a really common question. How on earth do we bridge the gap between church and the social action that we're running? I think both areas need to move and at different times. I think church, you need to ask, well, why? Why isn't church fitting for these young people? Like, why? A lot of it is because there's a huge illiteracy when it comes to the Bible and to Christianity in our culture. Like, honestly, one of the lads in school asked me whether you had to pay to come to church. He had no idea. They're, we are really in a, in a field where they've, they've really not got much. Even a lot of the guys that come to our church, guys and girls that come to our church, to be honest, their biblical theology ain't great. They're, so there is a huge kind of gap in terms of what they expect and what they're. The other prince, the one principle we've laid down is, I'm not the best evangelist amongst young people. Their mates are. Most young people will come to church because they've been invited by their friends. So we talk a lot to the young people that are already there and say, what would we need to do to make this an environment where you could invite your friends quite easily? And we listen to them a lot. Because they know best how to reach their peer group. We work hard on discipleship with them. And um, we're not scared to make the ask. Come. Hey, why don't you come? I think the God slots we've found hard... It's never really flown because it's always felt like you're having a great night and then someone wants to talk about God and the whole night goes boom. So the bit where you talk about God is always seen as boom and not, yeah, <laughs> up here. So we were, but I've seen it work. I've seen some people really pull it off well. Um, I think you've got to get your team really up for talking, sharing, communicating stories and taking opportunities when they're there. And I think you have to pray, pray, and pray, and pray like crazy. We, we try and draw into people like pray like mad. So I don't say this to big, big myself up at all, but every Monday morning, the guys will know I won't be in the office. I'm off. I want to go praying. Because we won't start the week right if we're not, if we don't, you know, get, get there. Get face to face with God and start saying, crying out for these young people. And they will then get you. Because they'll connect with you because when you pray for someone, your heart begins to break for them. When someone sees that you care, it makes a massive difference. When you invite them and they know you care, it's a different deal. You're asking them something different. So those are the kind of principles we work with, but we struggle big time. We've had gaps and we're painful. You know, We're like, man, we're working with X amount of young people here. If only we could connect them with church. I think it's a tension we all ride, but those would be my kind of tips for, for riding it. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. It's a good question. Um, we have. I have a bias, don't I? <laughs> I don't know. I'm wired this way. I do have a bias. Um, we've got kids that come to our groups that go to private schools. Um, we sometimes get some flack off their parents and not them generally we don't have big issue with them not fitting in or not feeling like they're there Sunday morning feels like Sunday morning when you're sharing the gospel it's like these are like our social action projects yeah but like our home groups and our life groups feel like sitting in my lounge wrecking my carpet of chewing gum playing on my Nintendo Wii and eating as much food as you can lay your hands on 
while we talk about Jesus, it probably feels like it does in most of your life groups or home groups or things. So there's not an issue there. Where the issue sometimes comes in is often with parents because they say, Steve, I'm doing my best with to prevent X child from connecting with these people. And what you're doing is bringing them to church, which should be their safe place. You're bringing the school bully into church. So we have to work quite hard in kind of all... And you see, you looking at it differently. Like, you're looking at it, we're looking at it, and we go, oh, man, like, they shouldn't really get on because he goes to private school and he's off the council estate. But actually, when they're playing Xbox and they're talking about Arsenal winning the FA Cup, it's not massive difference. There is and there isn't. Does that make sense? So we work really hard on on all the guys connecting relationally that's where residentials become very important that's where socials become very important that's where food becomes very important because when you become friends with people it doesn't really matter it doesn't matter as much but with the parents well yeah we picked up a bit of flack just take it on the chin just smile say sorry don't know what God's doing <laughs> we're trying we're doing our best God's just doing his stuff man we're trying. That doesn't answer your question, does it? I think we target everyone with the same with the gospel. But my heart is that the gospel flies on the margins, and I, I, I don't know. It just does. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? So if you put me and I talk to like a group of young people, and they they're all in private school, they they're all man. For me, it's really hard to find a route for the gospel there. It's harder than the work I do. Because I'm like, you don't need anything. You think you don't need anything. So you've got to find their point of need, right? Or their, where does the gospel resonate in that culture? But for me, there are so many contact points for the gospel resonating on the margins that it feels like it flourishes there. But I'm not, I'm trying to be careful. I'm not saying that the gospel is only for one type of person or for one type of situation. Like, my family's together. We lived in housing, private housing, we, well, grew up in East London, but I was never in a gang, I was never, I was always well fed, well clothed, well looked after. Um, it's not helpful, is it? Uh, I'm just trying to think what we do. No, but I'm not answering your question. We took our young people that were like that, we took them all to South Africa, took them onto a township, said, talk to me now about what you've got. It blew them away. They became a lot less selfish, became a lot less self-centred. And uh, they began to get a heart for the margins. So that's what we did. It's a bit extreme, cost a lot. Blew the budget. We really did blow the budget. We said we were going to raise the money, but our cakes and biscuits didn't cut the mustard, really. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, finish. Yeah, 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 yeah. We should finish. Um, I'm just going to pray. Father, I thank you that uh, in all of our local churches we have the potential to be a church for a broken world and a church that uh, really sustainably and significantly impacts local issues. And uh, I ask you, God, that we, as this generation coming through, would still be known as a church that has a heart for the poor and that would remember the poor. God, I've seen it on YouTube and Vimeo, Lord. I wasn't there, but I want us to carry it and to live it and to build upon what those before us have given us as a foundation. And Lord, I pray that the towns where our churches are would be exclusion-free towns. 
I pray the churches uh, in our movement would be churches that reduce child poverty tangibly in their local areas. I pray um, for those who don't come from those kind of backgrounds and aren't hit with those issues, I pray those young people would catch such a heart for their local communities that they'd be front of the line in serving on the ground in these projects, that they'd be mentors, that they would be uh, going overseas, that they'd be transforming uh, the, the outlook for those of their peers and those of their friends and those beneath them who look up to them uh, that are trapped in these cycles. And God, I ask you that your gospel would go out in power uh, in areas where people think there's going to be no movement amongst young people and no chance for the gospel to spread or take root. I pray our churches would see an absolute blossoming of youth work, of young disciples coming to faith uh, on the margins and in those kind of situations. I pray local gangs would be uh, just taken out and wiped out by the gospel. I pray local families would be transformed and have their debts cleared up and cleaned up uh, by support from the church. I pray families, whole families would come onto Alpha courses. I pray that uh, uh, whole estates would see work that goes on on them, Lord. I pray those in uh, financial position would uh, serve and, and, uh, and love giving and live in generosity. I pray we get known as generous, loving churches with integrity and a heart for the least, the last and uh, the broken God. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow. Sure, cool. Thanks, Steve. <laughs>